On this episode of Late Night Writers, our host Debbie and Jade speak to East Tennessee realtor Sydney Friedman about her history of writing, reigning, work-life balance, and how we should not take for granted our equine friends. So, Sydney, thank you so much for being with us today. And um, one of the things I'd like to know, maybe starting out, is um, just knowing we asked a lot of people this, you know, what, how did you get started into horses and when? It's always kind of a fun question to talk about. Yeah, so I was really little. I think I was about four. And my mom needed a daycare option. Okay. Um, <laughs> she was working. And one, one of her coworkers, someone she worked with that just worked part time, volunteered to help out with my brother and I. Okay. And she had seven horses on her property. And so I would just spend all my time out in the barn, wanted to be around the horses. And then it just escalated from there. Um, I That's all I wanted to do. I only wanted to go to daycare. I didn't want to do anything else. And I just brushed horses, fed horses, learned how to clean stalls early and became obsessed with it. Did you ride when you were that little? Did they get you up on and go? Yep. You yep. She would kind of lead me around and I learned how to tack horses up and I just grew from there. I just was immediately in love with it. So you were on a horse before your little legs could even get around. <laughs> oh yeah. I have this great picture. I don't know how old I am, but I'm in a bikini and a helmet and a water gun and a little yes. western saddle. This horse is huge. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. Yes, yes. And this was in California, correct? Yes, California. Uh, like you almost did the splits on your on your horse because you're so little. That's so oh bad. yeah, oh yeah. So, okay, and then from there, then um, you where did you go from there? Then with your horse career, then like where did you you were there for how long though? I mean, you were just little yet. You know, where did you kind of go from there? Where did horses take you from there? So I actually somehow inspired my mom's friend to open a riding school. Um, before she knew it, she ended up with like 20 something horses. She rescued them and she taught lessons and did like Girl Scout camps and brownie camps. So I started taking lessons with her and then I would also volunteer at the camps. Like I just couldn't get enough. I just really wanted to be around it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she actually moved when I went to middle school, which was heartbreaking for me, but I, uh, found a show barn. And so then I started riding in a show barn and I would work at the barn so that I could have lessons and worked my way up into a lease and just kind of went from there, um, started showing in high school. Um, just wow. Never gave up on it. <laughs> so you started with a lease horse. Mm-hmm. And then when it, did you show with that least horse then? And did yep. that horse yep. take you into more or how did that go? Yeah, yeah. actually yeah. my very first horse show is that planned first horse show is devastating. So I've been working at this barn to lease a horse and um, I was supposed to go to my very first horse show and the owner decided that she wasn't comfortable with it. I think I'd worked all summer and I was so excited to go to my very first horse show. Yeah. And then they said, no, I think they may have something. It was awful, but um, someone else at the barn offered her horse and it worked out nicely. And so I began showing that way. Um, all the way up until college, I leased horses and then I rode on the equestrian team in college and continued that into grad school. I showed alumni through my college and grad school, and then it was just my goal to buy my first horse. And so I finally bought my first horse after grad school. 
Wow. And was that first horse horse that you'd had your eyes on or was that, you know, how did that happen then? What was that? <laughs> no, it was actually the first reigning horse that I rode. So I grew up doing equitation to hunter jumpers and um, through the equestrian team, I met someone who was on the Western team and she asked me if I had ever heard of reigning. And I was like, I've heard of it. I never tried it. And so she's like, you need to come try this. And I was immediately addicted and he was the first reigning horse that I rode. And it just kind of worked out that I could buy him. I think we ended up buying and selling him about three times. Is that um, right? Jade may know him, John Henry. Oh, <laughs> yep. Oh, wow. John Henry lived with my horse briefly. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, wow. <laughs> so then you got into the rain and then that became something really big for you. Would you like to talk a little bit about that then in your career and your reigning? Sure, sure. So yes, I grew up in a very different discipline, which has kind of been a curse. Um, it's been hard to break some habits, but I just became so immersed in reining because it's so challenging. It is so hard. I always thought that jumping and equitation was hard, but reining is hard in a very different way because I mean, you look a direction or breathe a direction and these really broke horses just respond. Yes. Um, and you would never know that until you're on one. They look so talented and so collected easy they look easy yes they look so easy <laughs> but they're not mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no it's it's such a challenge and I have a weird like addiction to things that are really hard for me so um I've just I've just loved it I've really loved jumping into it I started at the very bottom had never shown before uh John Henry broke all my confidence at learning how to be a showman in the reigning pen. Originally when you were writing, I mean, you were like just all English then hunter jumper. Mm -hmm. And so you were all into that mode. Then you go into this then. So, cause I was yep. thinking maybe it was, you know, like more Western, but it was just mm -hmm. more English. So you really went from English to Western. Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. I knew how to put a Western saddle on because yeah. when I first was yeah. little, that's what I did. But ever since probably, Huh. middle school I'd only written English okay. never Western mm -hmm. do you think that your writing benefits at all from starting in English and then moving into raining or I think parts of it I think that an English saddle teaches you so much feel and it teaches you so much balance I used to make fun of people who rode Western I'm like you're riding in a couch with a handle like you hopefully you never fall off like <laughs> You know, in an English saddle, you actually have to have leg and balance. Um, so I think that it taught me a lot of foundational skills, but then trying to translate it into reining, I think it's given me habits that are really hard to break just because your legs are on and you're in a very different position. Um, so I think there are benefits, but I do think that, I mean, I'm stiff as a board all the time and I sit very proper and it hurts me in the reining pen. So, but everyone always says that your circles are pretty. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> Love that. And you both know each other. I'll just say that too yes. while we're talking. So you you do know each other and you know your style and your writing and so forth too. But here I am, you know, I'm I started out Western and went into English. So now I'm trying to figure out when you said, you know, it looks easy, but it's not. You said so so tell me about that, you know, for the people that don't don't do raining or ride western, mm -hmm. you know, what you had to go from where you were to where you where you are now and some of the things that were that you had to work on. Okay. Um, the very first thing that was hard for me just in general is the fact that they're on such a loose contact. Coming from the English world, like I can feel that horse's mouth and their sides all the time. And so to be on a horse with this big drape 
in the rain and maybe I get a little overzealous now. My trainer tells me to shorten my reins all the time, but to not have direct contact with their mouth, that was really challenging for me. Um, but on the flip side, if you just watch training horses, you see that big swing in the reins, you see that drape and it looks easy. It looks like they're just going around doing their own thing. But the more that you do it and the more horses that you ride, you realize a lot is happening that you're very unaware of. I mean, I've become very body aware when I ride, especially my mare, because she's so sensitive that you have to be, you have to know exactly where your weight's distributed. If one leg is here versus here, it's crazy. Wow. Wow. So when you got in now, you both know more about this, but I mean, you got into your rain and you started doing, tell me, did you start going to a lot of shows that were like a distance away or how did that, you know, how did that progress for you? I started mostly with local shows. So we always went, I'm in East Tennessee. We always went down to Georgia in January. They had a show and it was kind of our kickoff. And then I just did um, four Tennessee shows a year. So in my area toward Nashville, um, that's kind of where I stayed. And then, like I said, I just jumped in and I was so in love with it and I'm very competitive and I missed showing. And so I just kept adding to that. I'm like, where can we go next? Let's go to Kentucky. They have a circuit. Um, and then I think I showed in North Carolina. And then when I started writing with Brandon Brandt, I just started going everywhere. I mean, I go to the Buckeye in Ohio, go out to Oklahoma and Texas. Um, it's just expanded and it's just part of my year. I just expect to be there. Wow. How do you balance being, a, a like a realtor with wanting to show and like, how do you like work-life balance a little bit? Like, yeah, a little bit. I don't have one. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of work, a little bit of life and show season. I mean, I'm a planner. Usually by January 1st, I have a spreadsheet of all the shows that I want to be at for the year. And I just really lean on that. And I look ahead. I know that there's a certain week or two weeks or weekend that I'm going to be gone. And I do everything in my power to schedule all my showings. Or if I have clients coming in from out of state or out of town, I'm like, hey, look, this is my schedule. I cannot do this weekend. So I just do my best to plan ahead and prepare for it. And um, otherwise, I have people that I trust here and that I've really grown to build relationships with to be like, hey, look, and they know, they always know it's a horse show. I'm like, hey, I'm on a show. <laughs> I need you to show these homes for me, or I need you to do this walkthrough for me. So um, a lot of planning and then a lot of just building relationships so that I can have it taken care of when I'm not physically here, but kind of how I got into real estate is the ability to do it remotely. So I'm still working at horse shows. I'm on the phone all the time. I'm on my computer. I just can't physically show properties, obviously, when I'm halfway across country. Exactly. So tell us too, how how does that um you know, with your uh, reigning and now we, we know, you know, you do also do the real estate as too, what as well, but tell us what you've accomplished with your reigning. Talk about that a little bit. Where are you stand yeah. now? Yeah. We need to know that because that's, a big, <laughs> big thing. Um, well, a lot of it happened this year. So I am very weird about like wanting to do the proper progression and in the reigning world, you 
you can, or you can't, you can kind of do whatever you want. You can show all the way up at the highest levels right off the rip if you want to, but I wanted to do it right. And I wanted to start as a green rainer. And then I wanted to graduate into rookie. And then I wanted to make my way into non-pro because I'm competitive. So I wanted to have the best shot that I could at everything. Hmm. Um, and so I had a great show horse and he took me up through rookie, taught me a lot, learned, I learned just how to show and how to be in the show pen and gain some confidence. And then uh, my horse trainer found this mirror for me a couple years ago. And I want, I was like, okay, I'm ready for a derby horse. I want to show a derby horse. I want to go to some of these bigger shows, mm-hmm. but here's my budget. <laughs> I was one of those clients. <laughs> I can't spend a hundred thousand dollars. So mm-hmm. good luck. Um, and so we were out at the NRBC and I asked him to kind of keep his eye out. We had just remodeled the house and farm and sold it. And so I'm like, this is the money I have to work with. I want a derby horse. And he's like, okay, well I'll do the best I can. But when I say jump, you need to jump. Uh-huh. I think it was 45 minutes later. He called and said, go get your boots. I have a horse for you to try. That was <laughs> my right. husband. Yeah. My husband's like, okay, we said, start looking like, what are you talking about? Oh my goodness. Wow. Yes. That was fast. So it was very fast. And I uh, went to her, her stall. I'm like, okay, a little red horse. And I rode her and yeah, I was not in love. I wanted it to be like, oh my gosh, this is the horse of my dreams. This is perfect. And Brandon was standing there and he was like, you need to buy this horse. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, she's not ready for me to show. And I feel like we didn't get along. And he said, I am telling you, oh wow, this is the horse you need. And I'm like, okay, I trust you. Do it. Thank God, because she's been life-changing. Where did she take you? Tell you where have you both? Yes. So she, um, I did my first set of derbies with her and I went from probably $6,000 in earnings to almost 30,000 this year. Um, I won the Tanner HA derby in May level one and level two and was reserved in three and four. And then the next weekend went up to the Buckeye, did the same thing. Won the level one and level two was reserved in the three and the four. Congratulations. We went out to the um, NRHA Derby in Oklahoma City, my very first time showing there. And we made level four finals, which was, I mean, all I could ask for. So she has been life changing. Boy, so so it's good to listen to the person that you trust and trust them, even though they say you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. So that was good. Absolutely. Wonderful. This podcast is brought to you by Ram Fence Installs the one-stop shop for your horse farm. Ram is family-owned and operated and been in business for over 30 years. We welcome you to call in and speak with an expert about your next project today at 866-653-8984. Again, that's 866-653-8984. Well, now speaking about that, then, yes, we're talking about real estate, too, which is something that you do, which is, and how long have you done that for then, the real estate? I have only been doing this for two years. Um, I do tell people I hate that question because I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, you've not been in the business long enough. Um, I am newer to it, but I, I jumped right in and I love it and enjoy it and I mean, I think you can see it in my personality that I figure out something that I like or that I want to do. And I kind of just dive in. Um, You're competitive. We know you've got it. No, that doesn't matter. But a couple of years. Yeah, exactly. So, so you work with predominantly large horse farms then or horse farms for 
Really? It's my specialty. I wouldn't say that it's predominantly what I work with. I think if I live somewhere like Ocala or Lexington, where that was everything there was, then I it would be more so what I work with. Um, I try to, it's, it's a hard balance of advertising that too. I try to tell people like I live in an area where lake homes and rental cabins are huge, okay. more so than horse farms. Um, so I do it all. I just love when I get a farm on my radar because it is something that I know a lot about and mm-hmm. I know about fencing costs and barn costs and footing costs in addition to the home, in addition to the land. So it's something that I just have a passion for and kind of a unique knowledge set from building my own farms and from growing up on them. Um, so it's not, it's not predominantly what I do, but I love it. And I do feel like I have kind of an edge when it comes to farms. Okay. What do you think? makes a good like farm property or horse property or something like when you're looking at listings or trying to find a property for a client like what do you look for that points to a good property as far as horses go so I think that is definitely a combination of pasture space especially in this region everybody wants pastures I have some listings that have more so arena barn turnout and people are not interested because they don't have pasture space. So uh, personally, I think pasture arena and quality barn, I need somewhere to ride. And that's huge for me. Um, Again, in this region, it's hit or miss. Some people just want a horse property where they can ride around and turn their horses out. Uh, But I do feel like it gives you an edge when you have a place to ride, especially if it's covered. You don't have to have that here, but it makes a big difference if there's a covered arena. Um, And then I look for a certain quality of barn just because I'm picky. Um, You know, I want that nicer, a little bit higher end barn. I think it's going to sell better, Um, but you'd be surprised. There are some typical pole barns that sell really well too. Mm -hmm. What's the average like that you see that people of stalls, the number of stalls that people are looking for, what, what, what seems to go well for people or, what do you see as like, I don't want to say popular, but what most people are yeah. looking for, you know, that takes care of their needs? I would say probably six to eight for personal farms. But it's again, it's this weird balance where you get a beautiful property with a covered pen. It's probably going to attract horse trainers. And so then if you don't have a big enough barn, it's less appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some of these personal farms, mm-hmm. people only need a handful of stalls for their horses but you're really looking at a high-end client then if you're going to have the arena piece, mm-hmm. a nice small barn and the home. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. I mean, it's it's a very unique property, takes a unique buyer. And then there's there's a dance between marketing and finding for those trainers versus someone who just wants a place for their horses. Sure, sure. So when you go to a farm, you're going to talk to them about selling their home or their farm. Are there any tips you could give to our listeners about, uh, you know, what to do, like before even the realtor comes out or what what you need to have kind of in order that might help people to know ahead of time so that it sells more, you know, faster is more Mm -hmm. appealing to people? Mm -hmm. I give this advice to my home sellers, too, and it kind of goes the same. Mm -hmm. Make it look as close to Pinterest as you can. Uh Um, you know, I mean, even your barn, if you have mulch out in front, if everything is mowed, make sure your fences are fixed, make sure things are hung nicely, cleaned, cleaned up, picked up. Like the, if you can click through a Pinterest board and say, I would put my horse there. Yeah. That's going to be the best thing for photographs and showings. And I mean, granted that's, 
that's pretty intense. Like my barn, you know, it's a barn, it's going to get messy. It's going to get dirty. So not necessarily like spick and span clean, just organized, picked up, put together things hanging nicely. Um, nothing broken. And I mean, it's mud season, so there's only so much you can do about that. Not really. Right. Are most people pretty understanding? I mean, they're horse people probably looking at the farms and they know they realize that different seasons bring different things along, I'm sure. So I think that there's an awareness of it, but I do think it's amazing how much better things sell just off of photos from spring to fall. It just looks so much prettier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. And you take the photos and everything of the properties and things like that, or do you have someone that does that? So I have, I have a, photog- a photographer and a videographer and something that has been growing a lot is these branded listing videos. I did one on a farm recently where it's kind of like a guided tour and oh, yeah. they're my videographer. He's phenomenal. Yeah. And he took me through and I would introduce certain parts of the farms and the, the farm and the home. And then he would go through and also do a video tour. And that alone actually uh, brought in a buyer from Arizona. They saw it on YouTube and they reached out to me and they were like, this was amazing. I could really get a different perspective than just photos. Mm-hmm. 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 That's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's like that someone who probably wouldn't have had a chance to even see that property right. you know, is now getting the opportunity to, and like maybe even, you know, like purchase it. And yeah. Stuff. Cool. Oh yeah. The reach is crazy. I mean, social media has done crazy things to my business because for just that reason, I mean, obviously you can go on Zillow and look, but if you're not specifically looking in that area, it's not going to pop up. Yeah. And with Zillow, like you can like type in a city, but even if it's like two miles out of that city, it's not going to show right. you, you know? So mm-hmm. like- Whereas all of the voodoo in the social media world that, you know, it looks at what you're searching and what your keywords are and it starts pumping this stuff to you. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you, so have you invested in social media in your career from the beginning or do you feel like that's something that you're just now starting to kind of do or talk about maybe the importance of it to you a little bit. Yeah, it's huge for me. I mean, it's something that has really pushed me outside of my comfort zone because I use Facebook to keep up with, I mean, people in California, keep up with family members. I was never the person that was posting all the time. And everybody told me, you have to post videos, post something every day and post videos. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want to take a video. Like, I got to do my makeup. Like, what if I sound stupid? And I have really had to push myself to do that. Um, But I went over my numbers last fall. And for 2023, I think it was a little over 80% of my business came from Facebook alone. And that was wild to me, which is amazing because I spent $0 on it. It was just me being authentic and interacting with people and answering their questions and providing them value. And I get people messaging me like, Hey, I saw you on the move to Tennessee group. You answered this person's question. Are you taking new clients? Um, So just the effort of being present and providing value has brought me business, which is really cool. And also great because I'm not from here originally. So, you know, I've had to work a little bit harder to grow my business. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's happened on Instagram too. Not, not quite as much as Facebook. Um, I'm, so I don't know the algorithms and I don't know all of that. I just try and post and be funny and get people to follow me. But I've had a couple of people message me and ask if I'm taking new clients from Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. 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 
Well, that's a lot. It's an awfully lot to a big reach. Like, do you go everywhere with this or do you just stay within? Like, I know you're in Tennessee now. So how big is your reach then? Mm -hmm. For like where I serve business wise? Yes. Like for real estate then. is it Yeah. I, I say East Tennessee. I mean, I would go to Nashville, which is about two, two and a half hours away, depending on the situation. Um, my team covers the whole state. So that's helpful. Um, but yeah, I just, I try to use hashtags to kind of okay. talk about where I'm at and then, yeah, I, I'll serve the whole East Tennessee region. Oh, it's such a pretty area too. It's just gorgeous there. It's so nice because boy, you know, you've got nicer weather too. Not nicer than what we have. I can tell you that. It's 60 degrees outside today. It's crazy. I, I've heard it's, it's been beautiful. Yeah. here today though. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> We're up there, but we'll drop back down again. You know, no, it'll like, snow again. Yeah, yeah. The the groundhog said no. <laughs> the right, groundhog right. said good things there are happening. There you go. Us. We're hopeful. Yeah. We are hopeful. So, it's, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, when someone comes to you, uh, do you? I know you try to talk to them about their their criteria, and then you try to fit them into that farm and so forth. So, does it seem like you know it's it's fairly easy to do that if you know what the criteria is of the people or is it just a do you have to search and search to try to find those places or do you feel like ah I know the one for this one or because you have to familiarize yourself with what's mm-hmm. out there right so yeah yeah I think that it's I feel like I've said this for every question but it's a bit of a mix I feel like there are certain people where I'm like oh my gosh I've seen the perfect property or I actually have a great listing for that mm-hmm. um, but I will say that there is a huge influx of people coming to Tennessee because it is relatively affordable and there's no state income tax and it's just a very popular area but people have a little bit unrealistic expectation they think that it's just cheaper and so i i do run into problems with that often finding horse properties i make a joke everybody wants 10 acres of barn a house for five hundred thousand, and you just can't find it i mean it doesn't exist here unless maybe if you're in a very, very rural area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's a mix of finding that right property for someone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get lucky and I do have a good fit for somebody that's looking for something specific, but the, the joy and the challenge with horse farms is that nobody wants to let them go. You get it or you build it and you're there for a while. So when they come available, they are a hot commodity because they don't become available a lot because people stick around for a little bit. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine too, once they know what you've done in horses too, and you, they know a little bit about that because that might help them an awful, uh, an awful lot to know and look at too, that she's going to know, she's going to understand the horses and what I'm trying to do. And I think that that would help you probably, I would think with, with the, the, the farms and so forth, you know. Yeah. That it definitely be- helps me establish rapport. If I yeah. can talk the talk and walk the walk, people trust me a little bit more. And, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there who are like, Oh, I specialize in farms. And Mm -hmm. while you may be able to, and maybe you do have the knowledge, something about living this every day really sets you apart and just being able to have those conversations and then also be a resource. Hey, here's my farrier. Here's where I get, Hey, I don't feed this this time of year. I feed this. Mm -hmm. And just being able to have those conversations with people who, if you're not a And there's a difference in being a horse person and like being a horse person. So I think being able to have those conversations really helps. Um, I remember a farm that I sold last year, I got a phone call and the guy, the listing or the buyer's agent goes, yeah, that's a nice riding rink that you have there. (laughs) I was like, like an ice rink? Like, what did you just call this? 
Exactly. And like yeah. we've heard stories that um, not wrong, but instead of saying board, they say rent. They call it rent for the horses, or they call them uh, cages instead of stalls. As a horse person, if you talked about this barn with four cages in it, I'd be like, I wouldn't trust you. You know what I mean? I wouldn't trust that you understand what I need from something. Right. Exactly. So that helps an awfully lot. So yeah, that's similar to what we do, you know, is like having, being able to talk shop, so to speak, you know, like for certain it does a lot more. It helps to be able to have. Well, when you're a horse person, I say, I'm like, we're all crazy. So at least we have that mutual craziness off the bat. Like you trust me because I'm also crazy like you (laughs) to spend all my money and time on horses. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So coming up, you have like, you know, your show's coming up and so forth. And then like, I know that Jade had asked you before about how you make that work with your shows Mm -hmm. coming up. I mean, that's kind of a. That is kind of a tough thing to do, but um, do you have a lot more shows coming up? And then, you know, you do, you said you can do it remote and that type of thing. I mean, does that, seems to work for you though. Um, you know, how do you look at that going forward now with what's coming up for you? Yeah, it it takes planning for sure. I think that this year, um, based on what my horse needs, based on what I want to do, based on work, I'm going to try and be pretty strategic of the shows that I go to. Whereas last year, I think we just showed, like we showed a lot. And I think that I'm going to try and very strategically choose where I want to be this year and then just plan ahead. And, um, up until very recently, I was the only member on my team in East Tennessee. So that was a challenge. I didn't have anybody else here to kind of take over. I just made some friends with different colleagues and would hope that they'd help me out. But I do have two more team members now, um, who are also horse people. So it works out nicely that I can just be like, Hey, I'll, I'll be in a Tulsa, Oklahoma this week. Can you help me out? So just a lot of coordinating and planning ahead, both again for my horse and then for my business. So it it sounds like you could tell people though, that it's possible to do it. It's possible to have the career that you have with your rainers, with the horses reining, and then Mm -hmm. also possible to have your own career that you're doing too, but you've got to be planned and organized. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, because I know you already, I know that you're very disciplined, but. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's a big part of it too. I mean, and even before I got into real estate, when my horse was at home and not in training with Brandon, I had to, I don't care how cold it was outside. I don't care how dark it was outside. I don't care how tired I was. I had to ride. I had to clean stalls. I had to feed and I had to ride. My horse had to get out. And I mean, that's something right now that we're dealing with. I was like, oh, show season's coming up. We need to get on this. Like we need to exercise. So it does take a lot of discipline, but I think it comes from the passion and it's, it's a beautiful combination of I'm competitive, I'm passionate and I'm going to get it done. So I just make it happen. (laughs) Well, I can tell you're very dedicated and you're, you're very organized and planned out and uh, makes quite a difference. Were you going to say something to go ahead? Yeah. Uh, I had a question for you that I would be interested to hear kind of your, your insight. So as like, as a non-pro who shows at both major events and local shows, how do you balance going to like the Derby in Oklahoma versus going to like the, the weekend rainings in Tennessee and stuff like that? Like, how do you 
go about picking and choosing which ones you're going to go to? Uh, like you could specifically talk about last year where you went to a bunch, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, how does that thought process work for you? Like deciding what shows to go to, what's going to be worth it for you? So personally, last year, I did not have a bunch of confidence going into it because Brandon was showing my mare. She's a very high level mare. I was a little bit intimidated and I was playing it one show at a time. I knew that I wanted to go to a local derby and start there. It went really well. Went to the next one. Went really well. I'm like, oh, I got to keep going. Um, and then seeing, you know, looking back on it, she was tired by the end of the year. She was phenomenal for me. But now that we kind of got her to the earning point that we really wanted, I'm going to try and be more strategic about like, okay, this show is this far apart from this show it costs this much compared to this show. And here's the money added compared here. Cause I made a comment about how much money I won in two weekends in Tennessee and at the Buckeye compared to at the NRHA Derby, all compared to what I spent and the time spent. And someone very quietly sat there and said, Hmm, it makes those local shows make a little bit more sense, doesn't it? Because I won significantly more money. And, you know, you're competing with the best of the best at the majors who have three shots at each run. And I have one horse that may or may not be tired that has worked really hard for me that, you know, went to all these shows, whereas sometimes these riders at the major events didn't have to do that because they have a big string of horses. So, I'm definitely going to look at one cost, you know, what is the cost to stay local versus travel far, especially compared to the earning potential. Um, And then I know that something that I kind of played into it that I want to continue to consider is the actual showground, the arena, you know, like what arena fits her better? Where does she operate better? Um, She's always been good with traveling. So that's not been an issue, but like, the Derby, Oklahoma City pen fits her really well. Tulsa's huge. <laughs> like It's a lot of pen for that horse to run down. So there's a few different parts there, but trying to kind of pick apart what will be the best situation. Where do we have the best chance, honestly? Like what can I put in and what can I get out of each show and which one makes the most sense for us? Mm-hmm. 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 So kind of bouncing off of that in a way, with all the talk about earnings and stuff, Talk a little bit about your breeding. And we al- we also haven't even asked you, what's your mare's name? Boo. <laughs> Dainty Little Spook is her registered name, but her name is Boo. So we um, we have two yearlings out of her, two colts, um, one by Gunnatrasha and one by In Like Flynn. And um, we just all of a sudden, so her half sibling, same mare is 1030. He is by Gunnatrasha out of Dainty Little Step, who is her dam. Um, I think it was the year we bought Boo. No, I can't remember. He won the Futurity. And so right then and there, we were like, we should breed her. (laughs) I feel like we need to breed her. And I'm so glad that we did. And we bred her to Gunnatrasha because then she just continued to give us so much in the show pen. And she has now earned over $50,000. And so as a mayor, she's just in a really strong position to be a producer. So we have our two yearlings. We have uh, an America's Next Top Gun cooking in the oven right now. And she's taken a couple trips to the vet so that we can continue breeding for next year. Nice. Nice. What do you look for in a stud for your specific mayor? Uh, 
when you're thinking about, and then like, as opposed to like breeding for yourself versus breeding for sale. Yeah. Well, Brandon, I just asked Brandon's opinion. I really, um, booze breeder Brooke Warren, BMW quarter horses. I lean heavily on her because she has a wonderful breeding program and she knows these horses in and out and knows what crosses best on what. So honestly, I'm like, Hey, this seems like a good idea. What do you think? And I let her call a lot of the shots. And then I run it by Brandon. I'm like, Brandon, what do you think? Do you think this would be a good combo? Um, and then I also say, you know, what would be a you horse? What would be a me horse? And Brooke made this comment and I kind of live by it too, is to always aim for Brandon, breed for Brandon. If it doesn't make it, then I get it kind of thing, you know, to go for the best, highest quality that we can. And if it's not going to be an open horse, then hopefully I get a really nice non-pro horse. And then for resale value, I maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like you just have to go with the popularity. Like your, you know, your horses that are always popular. Like we were just talking about Gunner Special Night, not one that I maybe would always consider breeding taboo, but they're consistent and they're popular. Or Spook's got a whiz. You see a ton of them in the show pen. Um, so I go by advice from my my people, and then I try to kind of go by popularity, but the advice more so I ask about the crosses. Like she's very feely, but she's very lazy. So I can't, I love a Magnum chick dream. Brandon said I could never, ever, ever breed them because of how sticky they are. Um, so it's, I just really lean heavily on those two specifically to help me kind of figure out what pieces would mix really well with her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the team is important. Mm -hmm. Yes. That you Obviously I trust Brandon. <laughs> Bottom line. You got a good group of people around you. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. That's very trustworthy. That's good. Okay. Do you have horses and live the equestrian lifestyle? Be sure to check out our blog at yourhorsefarm.com. We publish every week and feature free printable equine checklists every month. Yourhorsefarm.com is a great equine online resource. So be sure to share with all the horse lovers in your life. And remember, laugh much and ride often. All right. Um, I think we're at a point where we could kind of, unless there's something more that you want to discuss or talk about, we can also, we, if there's anything else that you'd like to cover, yeah. and then we could do the canter banter. We're at about... I, I am unclear on what the canter banter is. We've personally. had people talk about all kinds of things that have happened to them or when they were little, you know, their first horse, what happened to them and how cute it was. Something that's just sweet, like heartfelt horse story that people like, you know, maybe you have a story uh, that happened during your, you know, like showing a barn or a home or something like that, that you feel like was really sincere or sweet or that turned out to be the right place for them. You know, something like that, or, um, you know, just something that's come along that's that would be something that you had to laugh at, you know, a barn, something that people in the barn or out in barns would just relate to, you know, and maybe somebody else might not, but the horse people would. And if you don't have yeah. something, we don't have to go there, you know. It's up to I feel like, and I don't, I'm, this is more, I feel like not so sweet, but like mm -hmm. touching. So, Tell me if this is like any. Yeah, go ahead. Just talk. Um, sure. My horse here, he um, had surgery on his foot during 2020, like COVID. And it was such a mess. And I thought I was going to lose him. And I remember just like the appreciation that it gave me for having a healthy horse and having. And I remember I went to a horse show just to watch and just like sat in the stands crying, uh -huh. not realizing how, pe how grateful people should be for their healthy horses. <laughs> 
Yeah. But it just taught me an appreciation to not forget how much they give us and how much we need them and love them. I don't know if that's kind of. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, yeah. I think that mm-hmm. is so easy to forget. I mean, I've fallen into this trap a million times, especially when I worked for Brandon and I would occasionally get to ride these really nice horses. And then I have my horse, who is also a very nice horse, but is at a different level or whatever. And like, it's so easy to just like take it for granted. Take it for granted, yeah, exactly. Like the the animals that we have, and I'm like, yeah, my horse is a cow sometimes, but like, she does the job for me, and she's not even fully bred to do the job and stuff. And I should be so grateful for that. And yeah. I'm getting a lot better at it, but like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's the I point mean, where it, yeah, it doesn't take like a near tragedy to make you feel that stuff. And now you like carry that into everything, like. I've seen you be so grateful to Boo, mm-hmm. you know, and like nothing had to happen in order, like you carry that, right. but you right. know, that feeling with you all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, it's, it's a good day when you have horses that are healthy, they don't have issues. Anything that is an injury is very, very hard. Those are things to take care of. And they, they not only for the horse, but for you as well, too. So I can understand how that would have been hard to be at the show and just watch and then be like, oh, yeah. Ken show again. So yes. so that's that's a very and good. And he did show again. Yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. And grabbed again. Uh, there you go. Uh-huh. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that, you know, it was so nice to have you and um, for you and Jay both to know each other and have that relationship. I know, I love it. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Yes, thank you so much for thinking of me. I enjoyed it. Uh-huh. And go to her if you live in East Tennessee. And are yeah. The, uh, I'm by herself in East Tennessee. Property. Yeah. Yeah, there you You've are. You've got an in now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and encourage you to share with all of your equestrian family and friends. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform as well as our YouTube channel and stay up to date on all of our shows. Do you have a topic to discuss or a guest recommendation for our hosts? Email us at podcast at ramfence.com.